Hello, and welcome to Gilead. I'm Rebecca. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you found us. This week, I had intended to include the welcome from the church service along with the sermon, but it turned out that what I was trying to do was maybe too clever by half or maybe not quite clever enough. Anyway, we're in the middle of our Advent 2022 series, Foretold, stories of when we saw shit coming. So here I am from December 11. Starting last year, one of my Chicago family members started working his way through the canon of Christmas movies. And I'm super afraid I've told you this before, so if I have, just pretend I haven't, all right? Um, my friend is working his way through the canon of Christmas movies. He's a methodical guy, and thank God, because this is my friend Matt, who works in the public health department. Like, we want people like that in that job. What that means for his Christmas movie project is that he has done research, he has looked at best Christmas movie lists and Rotten Tomato reviews. He's making a list of what he needs to watch every year, which includes It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve. He had never seen it before 2020 when we watched it together as part of like a long distance viewing party, like that part of the pandemic, we sat on my living room floor and watched it on my little laptop screen and he kept saying things like, oh, this is just so good. <laughs> like he's, he's like almost speechless about it. Um, and he didn't realize, you know, he, he thought it was just like the famous part, you know, like that you see like in clips and stuff. And he just didn't realize it's about, it's about so much more. It was too good for him to watch in public at the music box. He needs to be in the comfort and privacy of his own home to really absorb how good it is every year now. And it must be on Christmas Eve. And this in spite of the fact that his partner is not here for it. Won't humor him, won't be in the room. <laughs> I've worked for the last year or so, especially on Matt, the public health friend, suggesting that, you know, wouldn't it be better to be together on Christmas Eve than to watch a specific movie? Like, wouldn't that be better? <laughs> and I've worked more empathetically on Steve. And, and I began, in fact, this year in like July or August when I said one Sunday night, you guys, I think we need to discuss something and I'll admit the timing seems a little weird. No, said Steve. What? Do you know what I'm about to say? Yes, he said. What? You want to talk about Christmas movies? <laughs> I said, I just think it's important to make a, a plan. And Steve wasn't having it. Since then, we've done some work as a family. I've convinced Matt that at the very least, we shouldn't watch It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve after dinner, but earlier in the day, so that maybe we could all still enjoy the evening together. Um, we could watch a movie maybe that we would all enjoy, like the new Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie, um, for which Steve has been sending me trailers and terrible and enthusiastic reviews. And we also, since this summer, we've gained a new understanding of our, our family and our respective positions on the topic from Twitter. Relationships aren't made of tops and bottoms, tweeted Twinkaton. They're made up of one gay who wants to start Christmas in October and another who would rather forget it exists because of some form of trauma. <laughs> in April this year, a group of Gileadites gathered on Zoom to hold what we call here a clearness committee, but it's really not. We ripped off the practice from the Quakers, and we don't do it the way they do or you're supposed to, but we were trying to do some Quakerly things. Like we were trying to hold 
what's called an envelope of silence around what got said. We're trying to listen deeply to the spirit. The people who were acting as the clearness committee for Gilead, for us, collectively asked questions like, when has Gilead felt most embodied? What does it feel like when you have to pivot or change or look at something differently at Gilead? How has Gilead dealt with heartbreak? And the answers were beautiful and challenging and they sounded like us collectively, like the responses together sounded like us. It's the people, we said, it's the gathering, it's, it's the laughter, it's actually all of the big feelings. It's singing together and it's a radicality, an audacity. It's being around a fire together. One of the clearness committee folks, somebody who's not familiar with Gilead said, what's up with the fire? <laughs> kind of like implying like, aren't you a city church? Don't you like meet in bars? Why so many fires? The clearness committee conversation was part of work I was doing to write a big grant. Both Vince and I wrote one uh, meant to help support both Gilead and us during our sabbaticals this year. Backstory, if you're new, um, pa some pastors get sabbaticals. We're due for one this summer. We're each going to be away one at a time for three months. That's the plan. Okay, but besides us, every clergy person we knew was submitting one of these grants. And a bunch of clergy people I didn't know, but who I saw on my social media feed, like mailing their applications a full 24 hours before they were due. And meanwhile, I, in April, already felt so exhausted that the work of the grant barely seemed worth it. Like truly so much writing and research. How much do train tickets between Dublin and Sligo cost? And also Easter was coming and the Easter prom. And also I felt shame that so many of us feel like, why do I get to be exhausted? Everyone's been through this thing, this global trauma. And of course, many people under much harder circumstances than me, and all I wanted to do was sleep, and it was so hard to imagine working through this year, much less working until my sabbatical starts. Anyway, we didn't get the grants. And our shared life has gotten harder, because we are, in truth, all exhausted. We're down a staff person, the new leadership team who we, uh, that's PDP to you, the leadership team who we all elected in June had to take more challenging and other work than they initially said yes to, and we're behind on planning 2023. Remember when the telethon got canceled? Yeah, we've been behind since September, and we've all been through a global trauma, some of us under much harder circumstances than others, and the way forward is not clear to me at all, and now it's December, and what's next is not clear. So I turned the page in my prayer book to the December readings about meeting and finding and seeking God in a desert place, and there on the first page of December, God says in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, I'm about to do a new thing. Even now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? And I back up a sentence, and God says in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, don't remember the former things, or consider the things of old. And I back up a sentence, and God, Isaiah introduces God, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, and I back up a sentence. And God says in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, do not fear. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overcome you. When you walk through fire, you won't be burned and flame won't consume you.
One Sunday in my home church in Boston, the preacher began the way she always did, in familiar, impersonatable tones. She always began with a pronoun, with no antecedent. Enough nouns to get you into the thing, but not so much information that you weren't left with a question. She wrote out her manuscripts and memorized them and delivered them, and about the third sentence that Sunday, something in the sanctuary crashed over and she jumped so hard and she was shaken by something more than what had fallen over. And she said in her beautiful, creative, little, impersonatable voice that was shaking a little bit, beloved, Will you pray for your pastor? And it made me nervous. We're supposed to preach from our scars, not our wounds. And I don't remember what happened. If we sat in silence or if she prayed aloud or what I wish had happened but don't think did. Maybe somebody else stood up and prayed, but we did pray. And then what happened is that she began her sermon again at the beginning, every measured word. Starting last year, my Chicago family member, Matt, started working his way through the canon of Christmas movies. He's a methodical guy, and thank God, because this is the one who works in the public health department, and those are the folks you want on that job. I've taken part in some of the research. Like last year, we watched, both of us, for the first time, Nightmare Before Christmas. And before the movie, Matt had not only his gas fireplace turned on, but was also playing on the television Netflix's 60-minute-long Fireplace for Your Home Classic Edition. And I couldn't, I didn't want to shame him, but I couldn't not say anything. Yeah, he said, with zero embarrassment. I wanted the wraparound experience. <laughs> it turns out we didn't need Twitter to help understand the split in our family. Steve was already quite clear about it. All these movies, he says, and in fact, like everything about Christmas celebration is built on nostalgia. It's looking backward to a time when things were perfect or better or someone else thinks they were perfect or better. It's not real or it's not good. What good is it? I'm about to do a new thing, God says. Back up a sentence. Don't remember the former things or consider the things of old. The prophet Isaiah, at least in this part of the book of Isaiah, is talking to people facing an existential threat, a people who have been through a global trauma, the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, many, many people living in exile, and maybe ironically, the ones in exile were faring somewhat better than the ones at home. The shared identity of God's people was on the line. The crisis was, I read this week, a crisis that would have tested even the most robust and secure of communities, and this community was not that robust or secure. And the prophet's word to them from God was, don't think about the way things used to be. So in April, the Gilead folks tried to explain to the clearness committee person what is so central and important about fire. The warmth and connection and physicality, somebody said. Didn't Sarah DeHaan preach like a whole sermon about it, somebody asked? And yes, she had. You can find it in your podcast feed. It's very good. Fire is a mix of elements, someone else said. It can be both destructive and constructive. You can't see the same thing in a fire one second to the next. 
we tried to answer their questions and we talked about traditions, like the ones we eschew and the ones we hang on to, and we talked about what we need, systems to hold us. Rest for the pastors, someone said. That's real, it's in the notes. We talked about the fact that we have held heartbreak together. We're still in the middle of it. We said that we need and want to ask who's not here and what does that say about us? Someone in that gathering said, we practice irreverent irreverence. We uphold tradition and question it at the same time. We named our radicality, we named the importance of stories, the respect and acknowledgement that our stories are all holy. We named someone in this room named that the audacity of our existence is one of our strengths. They said the audacity to exist as we do, which I mean, which what felt audacious was meeting in a bar and I would tell people back home we were meeting in a bar because I wanted to shock them, which worked. They thought it was the strangest idea it was that audacity, there's something about that that really insists upon its existence. God in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah says, I'm about to do a new thing, stop thinking about the way things were. But so many other places, including in the mouth of the prophet and all over Hebrew scriptures, God says, remember. And even in this same little section where God says, don't, don't remember, don't hang on to the past, don't get hung up on that version, even here are allusions to other older parts of their shared story. After all, Isaiah said, this is the God who makes a way in the sea. God makes a way in the sea, Isaiah says, to a people who God has led through a sea. I'm about to do a new thing, that God says. Don't you perceive it? I'll make a way in the desert. I'll give water in the wilderness. And Isaiah says this to people who have been thirsty in a desert, to whom God gave plenty to drink. Don't get hung up on the way things were, Isaiah tells the community facing an existential threat. God is doing a new thing, even now. God, you know God, right, from the other times we've talked about God, from other stuff God has made happen, right? That God is right now, and we can recognize God's right nowness because of what we remember. But don't get hung up there. In the middle of chaos and exile, some of the people might have been tempted to throw out all forms of the past or cling mindlessly to what they knew out of fear. And that's not my idea, but I read it this week and I feel it, that dual temptation to double down or blow shit up. Will you pray for your pastor, Isaiah's community, God's people scattered in Babylon and the ones struggling at home after the crisis, still in the middle of the crisis, the thing rising around them. That was a community that the world needed, not just for themselves, not just then, but for God's whole project of loving and redeeming the world. I have called you by name and you are mine. They had the audacity to exist and keep existing. Stop thinking about the way things were, God says. Don't be afraid. Don't remember the former things. Just remember the other fires where you met. It's December, and what's next is not clear. I turn the page in my prayer book to the December readings about God in desert places, and there, on the first page, God says in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, I'm about to do a new thing. Even now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? The signs are all there in the past, in the future. Don't be afraid. There will be rivers. There will be water in the wilderness. We will walk through fire and not be consumed. God will make a way. 